0: Hello, and welcome to the Solus Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit soluschurch.com. John 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, "'Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock?' Jesus answered and said to her, "'Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst.'" But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is... When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, the disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, that one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And lastly here, verse 43, Now after the two days, he departed from there, and he went to galilee Uh, this is the word of god for the people of god to which we say thanks be to god one more time this is the word of god for the people of god man to that we say thanks be to god let's pray together lord thank you genuinely for the gift of your word it is for us today a compass that we are in desperate need of a light to illuminate our path god taking us, leading us where we could never go ourselves. So we thank you for that gift today. I ask, Lord, that you would um, now use the preaching and teaching of your word to edify your church and to glorify your name. Holy Spirit, would you please fill me? God, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you speak to every heart here? God, would you help me decrease so that you can increase? Our ears are open to what you have to say. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. All right. I'm tired from just reading that, just so you know. I think we're going to be okay. Hey, this morning, uh, if you're taking notes, I I want to preach from this title. Title of my message this morning is He Needed to Go Through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. Now, isn't it awesome how Jesus responds to all the controversy that's building up around his name? Uh, the, as, as it said there in the first verse that we read, that Jesus knew that the Pharisees were hearing that his popularity was increasing, even at the expense of John the Baptist. And, and it's interesting that how Jesus responds to this. Uh, when Jesus heard this, He's like, I'm getting out of here. I-, I love that. Now, certainly, there's a sense in which Jesus is uh, doing this uh, because he's, doesn't, he's, he's not on earth right now to build a crowd. Ultimately, he's on earth to fulfill, as he told us. His food is to do the will of God. He's going to go to the cross. And anything standing in that way is an obstacle uh, and so here's Jesus. He's not there to build his own popularity at this point. He's here to do the will of his Father. But I also see Jesus just, like, avoiding the religious drama, which I love. Like, all this talk, all this attention, and back then it, it would be on Twitter, it would be on every, every, every platform, there'd be this talk, and Jesus is like, okay, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I, I'm going to go to Galilee, all right? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, I just want to get away from the talk the political debate. Anybody with me? No? You guys are okay? I'm tired of it, okay? I don't know about you. I'm I'm just kind of like, okay. Sometimes I'm just like, I want to go to the little house on the prairie and just disconnect my phone and get away from the noise. I love here that Jesus doesn't run to the drama. He just kind of says, okay, have your drama. I'm going to make my way fulfilling the will of my Father. I'm going to go to Galilee. That's what it tells us there in verse 3. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And this is what's interesting about the gospel of John. It it gives us these special details of the different places that Jesus went. And every gospel gives us that. And when you put all of the gospel accounts together, you get a full picture uh, of as much as we know, uh, at least, of all that Jesus did and everywhere that Jesus went uh, preaching the gospel. But there's often uh, a unique purpose for why the the writers are including the locations that jesus went to and i don't know if there's uh, any passage that could be more applicable to that than here in john 4 because jesus is now avoiding the religious drama he's going to galilee but verse 4 is is a simple little scripture packed with seven words that holds tremendous weight And it simply says, as is the title of the message, he needed to go through Samaria. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. This shows us a few things about Jesus. Number one, it shows us Jesus's connectedness to his father's leading and direction. Have you ever had that sense of you're just like, I need to do this? You ever felt like God told you that? I need to do this. It's so awesome that Jesus, he wasn't drawn in to the the gravity and the magnetic pull of culture. Because at this moment, he could have stepped in and probably schooled all those Pharisees and told them who John the Baptist was and who he was. But Jesus wasn't directed and led by the demands of man and culture. This makes a great Christian, by the way. Jesus was led by the will of his father. And this shows us that he needed to go to Samaria. There was this sense in which Jesus was in tune to what the Father was leading him to do. Uh, this also shows us Jesus' countercultural and kingdom way of living. By Jesus going through Samaria, it shows Jesus was connected to the Father, but also that Jesus was living a countercultural way the way of the kingdom, which counters and goes against the flow of the way of culture. And at that time, Jewish culture. It's significant to note this because in that culture, Jews, when they would make their way to Galilee, they would always go, listen closely, around Samaria. Even as the woman at the well said, it was common knowledge, Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. Well, who are the Samaritans? There's a lot of history around this, but to summarize it, the Samaritans are a mixed race Jewish people goes all the way back to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. These are a people group that ended up being left behind and intermarrying and intermingling with Gentiles. And what came out of that was this mixed ethnicity and even a mixed religion. So they were Jews, but they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. They missed the Psalms, which is like one of the best of the Old Testament. They didn't have that. They had their own version of Judaism, and they had their own ethnicity. And what that created was a racial-ethnic divide. There was controversy. And when you follow history, you also see that this was was bigger than just some simple differences. Uh, Those differences, because of human sin, just like today and anywhere, it it caused uh, tension and opposition and collision. And there was constantly things coming up where the Jews had grown to resent the Samaritans and vice versa. And so any good Jew who would remain, remain clean, if he was to make his way from Judea to Galilee, they know that there's two routes that you can go around that. You can go the way of the Jordan, or you can go the way of the sea. And here's Jesus going, nope. I don't live according to the way of culture. I don't respect the ethnic and racial divides that sin has created. And here's Jesus going, I'm going to go through Samaria. I'm going to go where the world won't, the way of the world. And this is kind of a map to show you what this looks like. It's in perfect pixelated form. You probably can't read a single word up there, but that's okay. Just look at the green line, and we'll figure it all out together, okay? So here's Jesus in Judea. The common route, Jesus is making his way from Judea to Galilee right here at the top. Typically, a Jew would make their way on the other side of the River Jordan. They'd walk around Samaria and then cross cross back over on the other side. But Jesus, it tells us, makes his way right through the center. And we've already listed two reasons why his connectedness to his father's leading, his countercultural way of living. But I want to submit an ultimate reason. Ultimately, here in John chapter 4, we see Jesus going through Samaria. Rather, we see Jesus needing to go through Samaria. I think the old King James uh, says, and he must needs go through Samaria. I love that. Because no one, that's not proper English today. I must needs go to Chipotle. Like, I'm, I must need it. I must needs some, me some burrito, Okay. The idea is it's, it's a call, it's a demand, but why? Certainly to go against the way of the world, certainly to follow the Father. But listen, Jesus going through Samaria ultimately showed Jesus' care and concern for one person. He left the crowd to go through Samaria to meet one person. Through whom many would come to faith, by the way, we see that. But do we know God this way? Do we know God this personal, that Jesus himself will leave the crowds to take the uncharted road just for one life? Isn't that awesome? Doesn't Jesus talk about a parable about a shepherd, an idea like that, who leaves the what, 99? And goes after the what? The one. This shows us the very heart of God, doesn't it? That God is not too busy to give attention to even our own individual lives. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news to know that when you read all the promises about God in the Bible towards people that you can apply them to your life personally? I don't know about you. I don't know if you grew up in like a large family or if you don't and you have only child syndrome. I'm not sure what you got going on, okay? But I know for me sometimes it can be hard to comprehend that God with all of his children has time for me. Ever felt that way? Or can a God, because God with all, am I just another one of his saved children in the big pool of his family? But here's Jesus saying, no, look at this, no. No. I'm going to go through Samaria for this one person. I want you to think about all that Jesus went through just to reach you. If you only knew what he went through. The Bible says that Jesus is even in heaven praying for us. Jesus went to the cross for you, for me. I think one of the biggest mistakes we can make today is we get all this theology and we never personalize it. We sing, oh, how he loves us. But do we ever sing, oh, God, how you love me? And we see this in the very heart of Jesus, going, I'm going to go through Samaria for this one woman. Now, this shows us kind of the narrowed focus of Jesus, that he cares about each of our individual lives. But it also shows us the large heart of Jesus, who loves the whole world. Because what a contrast this woman is compared to the last figure we studied in John 3. In John 3, it's a religious, moral man, Nicodemus. For God so loved the world, he's telling Nicodemus, God's heart for the religious moral man, the person who's lost in their goodness, thinking they're good enough for God. And here shows how wide God's heart is. Often God's heart is much wider than ours is, right? Loving people that we think uh, he shouldn't because they haven't earned it or deserved it. And here's, here's Jesus showing us that the love of God, it spans our prejudices, Amen. It goes beyond what we think and who we think deserves it. And now here's the opposite of Nicodemus. Here's a religious, moral man. And now we have this almost adulterous, immoral woman. And Jesus shows up to this woman with a a heart to bring the kingdom to her. Now, uh, there's a theme that we have here in Jesus needing to go through Samaria. Uh, certainly for this one woman, but I want us to look as we as we walk back through this chapter. I want us to see a consistent theme of of what Jesus is doing. There's a theme that even just runs through this section of scripture, um, and, and the theme is this. In this this chapter specifically, as Jesus goes through Samaria to Galilee, he's accomplishing this specific thing. He is everywhere he's going. He is bringing to light the truth in such a way to enlighten people around him to the real thing. Now, that might sound really vague, but let me say that again. In this chapter, Jesus is bringing truth to light in such a way as to enlighten those looking on to the real thing. Not not just truth in the sense of this is a lie and this is the truth, but truth in the sense of something authentic. Like if someone came to, to visit you and you, they said, hey, bring me to the best Mexican place you got here in Boca Raton, Florida. I'm not going to tell you my secret spot because I don't want you going there and, and clogging it up, okay? I want my party of five, all right? But Las Vejitas. Okay, but anyway, all right? You're not going to say, oh, have you been to Taco Bell? Have you had a chalupa? You'll be speaking Spanish by the time you leave that place. Like, no, you're going to take them to what? True Mexican dining experience. I just had my uncle in town, and he was saying this. We took him to a a, a deli, and his whole comment was, "This is not a." Tr- I was coming to Boca hoping to go into a, a true Jewish deli, and he kind of gave the markers as to why this was sort of a counterfeit, almost version. And, and I think that we, if we take some inventory for a second, if we look at our lives. I think when it comes to the Lord, we may not realize, but I think oftentimes, maybe more than not, we settle for for almost versions of God. Counterfeit, close enough that we settle, but not the real thing, not the real thing, not the true Jesus, not. The truth. And so that's the theme that I want us to look at. Jesus, here in this passage, is bringing people's knowledge to the real thing, wanting us to move beyond almost to what's authentic and not counterfeit. And he gives us a few of these. The first real thing that Jesus uh, brings in Samaria, as you could write this down, is real fulfillment. Real fulfillment. versus, let's say, almost fulfillment, right? Or just enough, like I'm just satisfied enough. And we see Jesus bring this true and real fulfillment to this woman we've been talking about here at the well. Let's look again at their conversation and see how Jesus uh, led her and is seeking to move her towards real fulfillment. Jesus comes to Samaria. Let's look again at verse five. So he came to a city of Samaria, tells us specifically, called Sakar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. This is where Jesus is at. Now, Jacob's well was there. In fact, it's still there to this day. You could go visit Jacob's well there in Saqqar. And here's what it tells us. I love this insight to Jesus. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Now, we know how to tell the time. Do we know how to tell the time from Bible terms? Okay. So, Judah's learning time right now how to do the different hour hands and, uh, and seconds hands or minutes. I'm still learning. Um, what time is it? Um, but in biblical terms, the sixth hour, the Jews would start counting their hours at, at 6 a.m. So, this is noonday. This is high noon, middle of the hot day. And Jesus, I love how, how insightful this is, he's tired from his journey. Which is really helpful because the Gospel of John is mostly focusing on Jesus' divinity. That At the end of John, uh, he'll tell us the reason why he wrote this book is so that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God and we'd have life in his name. But how many of us know that Jesus is also the Son of Man, right? And this is what makes Jesus so approachable. He's the God who saves us, yet he became a man to bring us near to him. We can approach him with our weaknesses. And what a great picture of Jesus. He's tired from a day's journey. He didn't get to, you know, call an Uber. He did that on foot. And here he is exhausted, sitting by the well in the middle of the day, noontime. And verse 7 tells us that a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, if you stop right there, there's a lot even in that verse. That a woman of Samaria came to draw water. There's a lot of unusual things going on here. Uh, the, the, the particular thing that I want us to focus on is um, the unusual out-of-sorts kind of, uh, out of, out of um, attendance uh, of this woman at this well. In that culture, typically women would come to the well to draw water early in the morning or later in the evening because of how hot it was. And they would um, almost always come in groups. They would never come alone. There was actually these stigmas around, uh, if you wanted to find a woman... Just go to the well in the middle of the day, if you know what I'm saying. And and here's this woman at this well in the middle of the day alone. This doesn't tell us everything about her. Here's one thing we can know for sure. She seems pretty lonely. Maybe an outcast, maybe having to go there to avoid crowds, to avoid people. But here's this woman at a well. Now, here's another thing unusual. Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Then the woman said to him, super surprised that he's talking to her, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? This was unusual, not just to this woman, but even the disciples who later on go, you were talking to her, Jesus? Unusual, why? Because number one, rabbis would never speak with women in public, in that culture, not even their own wives, right, like, That's crazy. I don't think Brittany would be happy with that. Like, babe, we don't talk in public, okay? Like, that's not a good system, all right? Healthy marriages run on communication, not don't talk to me in public, all right? So, I mean, wow. Uh, So it's unusual. He's talking to a woman who's not even his wife, and also he's talking to her as a Jewish rabbi speaking to a Samaritan woman. Just catches her off guard. Now, verse 10, uh, Jesus says to her, after... Her asking this question, why are you asking me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan, you're a a Jew, I'm a woman, you're a man. Jesus answered and said to her, look at this, if you knew the gift of God. Now, let's stop for a second, the gift of God. This is a phrase used a lot in the Bible, the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Well, Romans 6.23 says the gift of God is eternal life. Ephesians 2 says the gift of God is salvation. For you have been saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, Acts chapter 1, and, and all throughout uh, the book of Acts specifically, the gift of God is the Holy Spirit, whom God pours out on his children. So, so what is Jesus talking about here, the gift of God? Now, I want to submit to you that Jesus is talking about himself. The context here would be John 3, where, God's, where, where Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave the gift of God, which is what? His only begotten Son. Now, when you receive Jesus, the gift of God, guess what you get? You get the gifts of God. Jesus is the gift of God through which you receive all the gifts of God. Amen? Hey, we wake awake this morning? I know we're early, 30 minutes early. But let's cook, it, let, let's cook it up a little bit, all right? So Jesus is the gift of God. Think about this. The gift of God. That God gave not his worst or what he had left. He gave his very best. He gave his son Jesus. Now, when you receive Jesus, the gift of God, you know what you get with Jesus? You get all the gifts of God. You get salvation. You get forgiveness. You get eternal life. You receive the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. 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 Now, he tells this woman, man, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. In other words, if you knew the gift of God and that he was standing right before you, you would have asked him. For a drink, and he would have given you living water. This is a, a new kind of water. They got smart water out there today. They got the Aquafina, the Zephyr Hills. They got the well water that turns my walls rusty when I run the sprinklers. Okay, they got all sorts of water. Jesus is introducing a new kind of water that he has come to give to humanity. Give to this woman. He says, "If you knew who I was, you would have asked me." And the water I would have give, would give you is called living water let's follow Jesus here the woman said to him sir uh, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where then do you get that living water I mean if, if I were to ask you for this living water you speak of I got basic well water but if I were to say fine let me get some of that living water how are you going to get it you don't have a pail this well is deep are you going to climb in that you can't okay and she asked this question I wonder if she had any idea what she was asking are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you great? Are you saying so the water you have you're saying it's superior to the water of Jacob's well? Are you saying that you are greater than your father than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his own sons and livestock? Now, uh, that's the question. What's the answer? Are you greater than our father Jacob. We know this in Jewish history that the that the uh, that the Old Testament fathers were held in highest regard, right? Jacob, Moses. There was a reverence. There was an honor. Jesus will, will ruffle some feathers. He did ruffle some feathers in his lifetime because he would make claims that not, not, not only would make himself even keel with, with those uh, highly honored figures, but even greater. Are you greater? Now, looking back, we know the answer is yes. Here's what we know about all those Old Testament fathers. They exist to point to Jesus, right? So why is Jesus greater than Jacob? Well, the same reason why he's greater than Moses. Same reason why he's greater than David. Same reason why he's greater than, um, than uh, what's the guy's name? Abraham, Isaac. Isaac, that's the guy. That's the guy. Um, All of them, Jesus is greater. They all point to him. They're all fulfilled in him. In fact, you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus saying this from time to time, that he's greater than Jonah, greater than Daniel. But I, I love the way that he answers this question. The way that he answers it, are you greater than Jacob? And he goes, well, let's talk about Jacob's water for a second. He says in verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. I got nothing against Jacob. I'm just saying that his water will quench your thirst. But for a moment. You'll be thirsty a few hours later, if not less. But the water that I give, whoever drinks the water that I shall give, him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This is amazing. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Let's let's back up for a second. Just, is really is Jesus really dialed in to H uh, two O? Is he like on an H T? He's like I'm just really on a water kick right now. I'm just really been into water. Just so I no come on. We know what Jesus is doing here. Jesus, listen closely. Here in this chapter, talking to this woman, Jesus is using an earthly element, water, and a universal condition, human thirst to illustrate a heavenly truth about himself to this woman. This is an illustration. It was kind of going over her head. But nonetheless, Jesus was trying to get to her heart, trying to illustrate something. Now, what is that truth that Jesus is trying to illustrate, talking about his water compared to this well water, Jacob's water? Here's the truth. The truth is that real, true, lasting, and eternal fulfillment only will come through Jesus. That's the point Jesus is trying to make here. Real, true, lasting, and eternal fulfillment through the illustration of thirst only comes through Jesus. He's saying, you know, in life, there's things that you will try to get uh, your, your, your spiritual thirst quenched by. You'll try this, you'll drink this, you'll, you'll look to this. Even, By the way, even religion, can I say this? Even being involved in a local church can become a means to get something that you're looking for. Like if I'm just there, if I show up, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm a part of it, if I have an image. I mean, Christians find themselves thirsty and dry in the same way all the time. J- Jesus is talking about a reality of life that there is this universal thirst to humanity. And Jesus is making a claim. He's saying, Me, illustration, through me. You can have your thirst satisfied in such a way that you'll never be thirsty again. How awesome is that? Eternally satisfied, forever satisfied. Now, Jesus is saying this because he prophetically knows something about this woman. He knows that this woman has tried all sorts of waters to quench her thirst, particularly within the arena of relationships. We read that. Verse 15, then the woman said, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She goes, okay, fine. If you got the best water, I'll, I'll take it. And Jesus said, okay. Go call your husband and come here. Jesus knows this, but the woman says, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know. You said well that you don't have a husband. You've actually had five husbands. And the one that you're with now, that you're living with, you're doing so out of wedlock. This isn't even your husband. He, who knows why? Maybe he won't commit to you because you've been through five relationships, and so he's just kind of using you. But the one you're with now is not even your husband. No. I love Jesus' tactful way of saying that. He's like, Yeah, you're saying that's true. By the way, I know everything else about you. Okay. No. Jesus gets right to the heart of her thirst. Now, I wonder in your life, if, if you, by the way, let's stop for a second. What if you were at this well with Jesus? What if this was you that Jesus was talking to? What's the thing in your life that you're looking to to satisfy? What's the thing that Jesus would say, yeah, you, you've tried that five times. In fact, five million times. Now, what's amazing here is Jesus stands before this, this woman not just giving these numbers numerically for the sake of showing what he knows, but he's saying something specific. We know that in the Bible, the number six is the number of imperfection or incompletion. It's the number of falling short. So, so far, this woman has had five husbands, and now this dude, some scumbag she's with now, who won't even put a ring on it, this is her sixth man. Could we say that this woman is incomplete? Yeah. And here's Jesus before her as her seventh. The number of what? Completion of perfection. Jesus is before her saying, listen, in me you'll find real fulfillment. You'll find your thirst quenched. So that's, that's the first thing we see Jesus saying is real fulfillment. Now, uh, verse 19 says something so interesting. Then the woman said to him, talk about changing the topic, right? Sir, I, per- I perceive that you're a prophet. Hey, uh, you've had five husbands, okay? The guy you're with now is not your husband. Wow, let's talk about how how much of a prophet you are. Just a prophet. Can we talk more about that? Just your propheticness. I love that. It's like someone comes to exhort you. They're like, hey, you really need to change this. You're like, you're just so good about talking about change. Let's talk about that more, right? It's like you're totally deterring a bit. Now, she kind of does that, but now they get into this conversation from fulfillment. Now, they're moving to a conversation about worship, and she instigates it. Notice what she says in response to Jesus promising real fulfillment. She, she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Maybe she thought G- she, this was going to work with Jesus. Let me, let me just say something that I know is going to trigger him. All right. Oh, I know. It's like maybe you've known that before. You're like, hey, go, go talk about this to that person. Watch how mad they get. Okay. It was kind of like that. And she's like, oh, well, speaking of, hey, you know. I know you guys are all about worshiping over there, right? She kind of wanted to get into this maybe debate with Jesus and this conversation with Jesus. and Saying that we worship on this side, you Jews on the other. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, he has no time for this. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor, it's not about the place, notice this, nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, Speaking about Jewish heritage here compared to Samaritan religion. He says, but the hour is coming and now is, notice this, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus says, okay, you want to talk about worship? Let's talk about worship. You want to talk about worship? How about we do this? How about we talk about true worship? This is the second thing. Jesus talks about real worship. She wants to get into this conversation about worship, and for her, worship has to do with this sort of environment, this sort of location. You worship there, and I worship here. And Jesus doesn't even entertain that. He goes, no, no, the time is coming where lo- location is not going to matter. We're going to be in heaven forever, one location. Every tribe, nation, and tongue, they're going to bring all their different eclectic worship styles right to the throne, Amen we got to be careful, right, that we don't get prejudice around our certain kind of church. I don't like the way they do church. I like the way we do church. We're, I'm pretty sure that this is what the worship service in heaven is going to look like. Just th- These colors, these sounds, how many of us know that it's, it's going to surprise us a bit, isn't it? By the way, it's a healthy thing to, to, be, to, to experience other expressions of worship. I've had the joy of going all, uh, also to all different churches around the world, whether it's Morocco or South America. And it's really cool to see that we are just a part of this great big global thing that God is doing. And our version is not bad, but it's not everything, right? See, see Jesus is getting at something here. Be careful that with worship, you don't think about it as this external thing. Jesus is going, let me, I want you to understand what real worship is. This is so big. Real worship. He starts to teach her about, notice what he says, true worship. He says, my Father is looking for people who really worship, who truly worship. Sometimes I wonder um, how much of worship today is really worship. Sometimes I wonder how much of my worship is really worship. Like, it, it's, it's worship in that it fits the, the mold of what we're, as the church saying, is worship. But is our worship the kind of worship that the Father is seeking? Isn't that interesting? You ever thought about that? Ever had to, you ever had to address that in your heart during worship? Lord, am I really worshiping right now? Now, Jesus is going to help us understand true worship. And the way that he helps us understand this is he he includes two central components if we're going to be a church of true worshipers. And I think this is so important. Jesus says there's two fundamental factors that make up the kind of worship that honors the Father. And he says it's spirit and truth. Notice he doesn't say it's the right sound system the right instrument. Notice he says nothing about music at all. Don't get me wrong, okay? You're like, didn't you, are like did not you is not Andrew, you this church? You said music on the front end. You know that? Before we, you came up to talk, there was worship. Okay, uh, music. Now, the Bible actually commands us to sing to one another, commands us to play skillfully and to play our instruments to the Lord. But, but worship is not found in the means. Worship is found in the heart, Jesus is teaching. He says true worship is not in the, in, in the external, it's not in the method, it's in the motive. So, so you could have all of the method together. You could have, you know, like run the lyrics perfect, play the notes perfect. You could, you could actually have a crowd singing loudly and not be worshiping. Interesting. Without these two factors, spirit and truth, we're not worshiping spirit. The idea of now, now, together, they both comprise this idea of being genuine and sincere, like spirit, who I am inside, and truth. It's honest, it's genuine, it's sincere. I think you can combine these two words to say that's what good worship is. Uh, worship is you meaning what you're singing to God. It's not faking it. It's not going, I'm in the front row, so I'm going to do one of these today. All right. Are they looking? You know, it's not that. True worship is, is genuine, but it's also made up almost in a, in a, in a divide of these two components, spirit and truth. You've got to have these two. Um, without both of these components in worship, and most theologians have agreed to this throughout the centuries, that without spirit and truth in worship, what you actually have is idolatry. You have musical idolatry. You have instrumental singing idolatry without these two components. Think about it. If you have spirit without truth, What you have is you have emotion and experience, but you don't have the knowledge of who God is. So how many of us know we need truth to know who God is to worship him correctly? God is not going to be worshipped according to what we think about him. True worship responds to who he is. So that's why theology, by the way, is really important. Some people go, why is it so important? Why can't we just like feel God and just be in his presence? Well, because I want to make sure we're worshiping God and not some sort of idol that we're creating, uh, not sort not of, some sort of image of God that we're constructing. So, so truth is very important. It's otherwise, we commit the idolatry of wor- worshiping experience and not God. I've been a part of so many different environments like this, which have the, the spirit component, but they don't have the truth component. And, and without this, you can find yourself in a dangerous place. The Bible tells us in 1 John to test the spirits. Look, Listen, it might make you feel good, don't mean it's of God. Well, I just get this feeling. Yeah, you can get that from all sorts of things, spirit and truth. But but let me also um, let me flip that coin around and harp a little bit on those of you who right now are like, yeah, amen, man. It's all about the truth. Those people who feel things in worship, <laughs> man, a bunch of heretics. You know, we're we're in the same vein of idolatry if we have truth without spirit. If spirit without truth is the worship of experience, truth without spirit uh, is the worship of information. A lot of Christians today, what, what they worship is what they know about God, but they don't ever get through what they know about God to actually worship God. And that's what it's all meant to be. Without these things, we're missing a fundamental component of real worship. And Jesus says that the Father is seeking such to worship him. I, I pray that my worship is this kind of worship. I pray that it's informed by God's word and it's inspired by God's spirit. Amen. Let's pray that as we come in here every Sunday morning, it's not about the music, guys. It's not about who's up here or who's not up here or what song we're. Listen, it's about being informed by God's word and being inspired by God's spirit. That's what our hearts are after, real worship, spirit, and truth. And then as Jesus moves on here, we see here real impact. I want you to see this. Jesus teaches true worship, and he talks about a time coming where true worship will happen. It says, then the woman said to him, notice this, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And what she was looking for was standing right in front of her, who she was looking for. And Jesus lets her know, um, you're right, Messiah, he, he is coming. In fact, he's here. He has come, and he says, I who speak to you, verse 26, am. Now, the word he there is italicized, because in the original language, Jesus literally says, I am. I am. I, I am who you're looking for. I am all that you need. I am that I am. Before Abraham was, Jesus will go on to say, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the door. Jesus is what we're looking for, the person of of Jesus and to find him is to be changed. Not that you change yourself so that you feel better about it, but this is just a statement of fact. To find Jesus, to know Jesus is to be impacted. You cannot get hit by a train and not be impacted. Listen, how then can you be hit by the God of the universe, and not be impacted? How can you be hit by the gospel and not be different? How can you be hit by Jesus? The love and the power, let me tell you, the power and the love of Jesus is stronger than the power of a train. It will wreck you. It will knock you over. We see that with this woman, and it's through a simple verse. Notice, skip down to verse 28. It says, then the woman, notice this, left her water pot. we see this the profound statement here john's being poetic he's saying her life changed jesus says i'm the living water you don't need this water anymore she was so impacted by that truth that she goes well i don't need this water pot anymore real impact being truly moved by the gospel and the ministry of jesus of um, jesus my question to you this morning is um, have you been impacted by jesus have you truly been impacted by Jesus? Is there evidence of the impact? Is there evidence of the impact? Yesterday at Judah's soccer game, um, J- Judah's doing saber soccer, and it's, it's been great for him. It's been really bad for my holiness. I get angry at those little kids. I'm like, take them out, coach. He's not doing anything. Um, horrible. And... Soccer dad. Um, I got a minivan too. Um, But now Jude is pretty tough. He's a pretty tough kid when it comes to like physical injuries, a skateboarder. And so you know when he's hurt because he'll often show it. Like, okay, he's actually hurting. Like he's not trying to get attention. This hurts him. Uh, Yesterday at the game, he had one of those classic moments of getting just pegged at close distance by the soccer ball. And he was maybe three feet away. And this kid on their team, I don't believe he was seven years old. He might have been 22. And, or at least his right quad was. This kid just closed this and boom, and it just goes like right into Judah. And Judah hunches over, gets the wind knocked out of him, Ugh! right? And, and it's like very, rare. and I'm, I'm like running on the field, Judah, you know, and I'm like, slide on my knees. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it's pretty rare for like that to show so 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 it was one of those first times that that for me it was like okay now that's how you know judah you know when that kind of a thing is happening you know all right this is evidence to it was evidence of some impact right it was like that that certainly happened man and i just listen the people closest to you they know they know when you've been impacted they do like they know they see it this woman her life is forever changed just for the sake of time i want us to skip down and uh, I want us to see what this woman does. She leaves her water pot. Verse 28 says, and she went her way into the city. And she said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, I don't think she's wondering. I think she's, I think she's exclaiming, could this be the Christ? She, she's overjoyed. She's been truly impacted. Now, notice this. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, Eat eat but he said to them I love this I have food to eat of which you do not know So this is interesting um disciples are like we went to get food we can't believe you're talking to this woman Jesus when's the last time you ate you need to get something to eat he goes I got food that you don't know they're like well, what do you got like some hummus up your sleeve like what <laughs> what store did you go to right like what kind of food I want to try it you know and again, here's Jesus using a, a, a spiritual, uh, uh, an earthly element to illustrate a heavenly point. And the disciples say to one another, did anybody bring him anything to eat? He's got special food. Did anybody get the special food? Like, they're looking at each other like, was that Peter? Was that your fault? Were you supposed to get the special Jesus food? Jesus says to them, my food, this is so huge. This is where we'll close. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. so we, we close with this last idea that Jesus displays what we'll call real hunger. True hunger. Um, nothing will drive you in life more than being really hungry. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Doing the whole 30 right now. Pray for our marriage. Um, the other day at dinner, Bernie's like, can I have a bite of your steak? And I was like, "No." I'm confessing my sin to you right now. I told her no. I know you're judging me hard. It's okay. I'll take it. I don't think I've ever said no. I've said you no. Know, it's like, yeah, here's the whole steak, you know. No, and she's like, no, that's not true. Okay, you're right. Um, but it's interesting how how I'm overdramatizing something, by the way. Okay, but it's interesting how how much um, hunger will dictate my attitude how hunger will dictate my decisions hunger dictates my whole day like right now you're like what am i gonna eat after this it's so fun what's it gonna be and that is sometimes more fulfilling than actually eating it's like where are we gonna go (laughs) oh man um and so this is pretty profound, right? Uh, not that Jesus didn't suffer hunger. Matthew 4 tells us that he fasts 30 days. Afterwards, he's hungry. Jesus is a man. He's hungry. But isn't this amazing that Jesus displays to us a hunger that's greater than some kind of physical hunger? He has a spiritual appetite. He's hungry for the things of God. Real hunger. He goes, no, I got, I got a real hunger. I know you've gotten food, but listen, my food, he says, is to do the will of my Father. I, I, recently, I had to sort of repent before the Lord and say, God, I feel like I've lost my hunger. I remember, like, first coming to the Lord and, and studying his word, and it was all so new. and Maybe that was part of it. It was like a new meal. And so I just couldn't. I was hungry to be alone with God. I was just hungry for his word. I would pray that, God, give me a hunger for his word. That's a great prayer to pray because God answers it. And I just started to develop that. And then just recently felt the Lord saying, you're too full, Andrew. You're too full maybe of yourself. You're too full of your schedule. You're too full of religion. You're too full to be hungry for me. And here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus doesn't cast us away when we're not hungry enough, right? And all that is is a call to say, take up my way. Pray and desire and find my hunger again. The promise that Jesus makes is that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Now, ultimately, our hope for this, ultimately... The display of all of this, whether it's thirst or worship or impact or hunger, it's found in this person, Jesus, who um, even when we weren't hungry for him, even when we wanted nothing to do with God, this is the gospel. Not that we wanted God and so God's like, fine, you can have me. But, But the scriptures teach a reality of our condition. By nature, we want nothing to do with the Lord. We'd rather be our own gods. We have and we'd rather fill our lives with so many other things, primarily busyness, than be with the Lord. And that's the history of of humanity. And while no one is hungering for God, here is Jesus hungering for the will of God. Hungering, pursuing, driven to go to a cross for these non-hungry people. And that was the work that he would finish. Notice what he said. I have food to eat, and it's to finish the will of my Father. And this Jesus, so hungry to the will of his Father, wouldn't just serve him for three years and preach a few sermons and heal a few people, but he was so hungry for God's will that he went to the cross. And it was on that cross that your and my sin was placed on him, and he became all that we are. He was punished on our behalf. He was scourged. He was whipped. He was nailed. He bled. At the very end of this work, he cried out, It is finished. I finished the work of my father. And he did so, listen, he did so so that you and I, we could have new life in him. So that we could find salvation in him. So that we should, listen, so that we could no longer waste our lives filling ourselves with things that will never satisfy trying to quench our thirst with things things that will never do it. Jesus went to the cross, and think about this, on the cross, Jesus himself, he said, I thirst. Jesus took our thirst on the cross. The cosmic thirst of the world, he took it upon himself so that we could come and be satisfied in him. That's real hunger. That's real satisfaction. That's real fulfillment. That produces a real impact. And that creates real worshipers. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.